Um, all right, guys. This day looks different. It feels different. We don't go in our small group first. We're going to be in here today. Um, you guys are going to have a chance to share in, in just a minute. And before we get started, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up um, just where we've been. And, and we're going to end with those last few verses in chapter 6 that Paul shares with us that we did not cover last week. So let's pray together and then um, open our Bibles to Ephesians 6, okay? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, we come to you today, it's, it's, it's crazy that we've been doing this for 11 weeks, um, but Lord, every week has just been full, and thank you so much that just, uh, it, it seems so simple when you say, oh, we're studying a letter, but it's just so rich and full of, of your truth, and, and then the exhortations that you've given us to go out and take what we believe and take what we know and do it. Um, May we walk out of here as doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Father, we thank you for our time. I thank you for laughter. I thank you for all the friendships that are developing and have developed through these 11 weeks. God, will you continue to take us places with each other as we're all trying to run the same race, get to the same finish line. Um, thank you, Father, for, uh, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6. The end of Ephesians 6. You probably thought... Um, I was just going to skip that last part, that final greetings part, but no way, I would never do that. That's our Paul, man. Final words, important words, right? Last words are so important. Um, I want you to, to think with me for just a minute. I know this, this week's homework was different. You didn't have just the four questions, right? You had all those questions that, that, that asked you to look back, right? To remember, to think back to the first week, second week, third week, and all these, these, these weeks full of truth that you walk out of here and you're like, oh, man, that one was heavy. And then we come back and do another, oh, man, that one was heavy. And then we come and we do submission and we all just fall on the floor. Right? Well, the thing that got me thinking this week, as I was trying to think, Lord, how do you want us to wrap up? How do you want us to finish this out besides casseroles? Amen. Casseroles are next to godliness and I can smell them from in here. But you know what? This sentence came to me, and I want to share it with you. And you don't have to write anything else down because you've probably, it's a lot of stuff you've already heard. But I want you to write this one sentence down somewhere. Write it down. Here's the sentence. He knew what they would forget. He knew they would forget what they know. Paul knew they would forget what they know. I, I, I kept thinking as I was looking back over the entirety of this letter. That's all I kept thinking is Paul is constantly reminding them. Why is he reminding them? Because he knew they would forget. I, 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 you know, for me, I'm just barely over 22, 23 years old. And I love when y'all laugh every time I say that. Well, I, I've noticed with age, ex, I'm part experience, that my memory is not quite as great as it once was, right? Like if you're on Facebook, you know I posted that picture. What did I post a picture of? That game? Simon, anybody know? Anybody in here not know what that game is? Simon, raise your hand right now, you 20-year-olds. Uh-huh, I see you. Yes, you baby. Okay, so here's the thing. Back in the day when video games were just, you know, balls bouncing and it was just, yeah, it wasn't really as what it is now. We had this cool game. It was a big round thing and it had colors and it was called Simon. And it, was, it would play these patterns and these lights and then you would try to imitate it. And Okay, so I don't even know why I'm telling you any of this, but the point is... We can't remember things, right? I mean, everybody look on your, on, your, on your shoulder. You have a little white thing. Why do you have that? Because Chris can't remember anybody's names. It has nothing to do with, with church. It's because we don't know. We can't remember. I have, little, I have a phone. 
It's like a little computer. Anybody have one of those? Anytime I go somewhere, anytime I go somewhere, you know what I do? I turn on the map. Because why? I don't remember where I'm going or what I'm doing. You know, just this very week, I told my um, leaders at the leader meeting, I came to our very last leader meeting of the semester, and I confessed something. You know what I confessed? I forgot where I put my Bible study book. I showed up with no Bible study book. I have no memory. I can't remember anything. And so when I think about Paul saying, I need to remind them of the things that I know they're going to forget, it makes sense to me. Even the important things. I forget the names of my children. That's important. We forget, don't we? Remembering is important. And so as you walk out of here today, and don't just close the book on this study and decide, okay, I've done it. I've done Ephesians. Check. Put it on the bookshelf. I'm all good. I know this letter. What are you going to do to remember? You know, what are you going to do to go out and take the doctrine that Paul has taught us and, and to do it and to live it? Don't forget. Well, I went back through, and it was kind of like a, it was like a reunion. Like, I, like, you know, I went back, and I'm like, oh, I remember week one. Oh, I kind of remember week two. I kind of started reviewing, and I hope you did too. And you're going to have a chance to share some of those things in just a bit. But I wanted to kind of just walk you through just kind of a, an auditory remembrance, if you will, of where we've been. And then we'll end with these last verses of Paul closing the letter. I went back to week one. And you know what I remembered about week one? I remember this. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I asked, do you remember I asked, what's your true north? Do you remember that story? Like, what's the one thing in your life that you rely upon that doesn't change? Second week, we get to choose to live in God's praises. Like Paul, like we talked about Paul's story. Remember, he was called. He was not, he didn't volunteer. It wasn't like he was on that, that road to Damascus, and he's like, hey, so I'm all about Jesus now. He, he was called. He was dropped off that horse, wasn't he? But we get to choose to live in God's praises regardless of our circumstances. Every saint matters to the story, and no person or situation is hopeless. And three of the most profound words that kind of has struck me this whole time, and they are this, that God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. He took the life of Paul, the most opposed person to Christianity, and have made him the missionary of the New Testament, the voice of the New Testament. We moved into those three chapters, right? When we started, like, we're like week three, and we're finally getting into Ephesians, and we talked about he began the letter with what two words? What were the two words that he, that he began the letter with? Do you remember they were a greeting? Peace and grace. Peace and grace. They were, they were this beautiful marriage between two greetings from um, the Romans and the Jews, and they were intentional because he was trying to start from the very beginning, from chapter one, he was trying to tell us that they are unified and they are one. Peace and grace, unifying in his greeting. He, then he followed it in chapter 1. Remember the longest sentence in the whole wide world? Anybody? Remember Paul, like you look back and you're like, dude, punctuation, right? I mean, none, zero. He has like a 72-word sentence that goes on and on up forever. And I look, and even in my notes of my Bible, it says longest continuous cascade of words. Like that's what it says. That was my theological note for that. But here's what that sentence contained. It contained some of the most pivotal truth of the entire letter in the beginning. It started from, from verse 3. Like at the very beginning, he's like, hey, hey, peace and grace. And I, All right, we're getting into it. And he reminds us of this, that we were chosen. Remember? You're chosen. 
We're adopted in, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're lavished with wisdom and insight. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Remember the word sealed? The word sealed means you can't reverse it. That Holy Spirit, he uses the very specific word there so that everybody can take this deep breath of like, oh, okay, we're good. Longest sentence, most important. Christ wasn't just a guy. He was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God in authority over everything, Paul tells us, in one big breath. Well, then he moves on in Ephesians 2, and he reminds us of who we were. He reminds us of whose we are, right? And then he talks specifically about, um, about the Ephesians, and he shares with them, remember where you were, and now remember that you're one. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. The fourth um, chapter, I mean, the fourth, fourth or fifth week that we were going through Ephesians, we go through two and three, chapters two and three. And, and remember, this was the whole section about um, that Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Jesus is the cornerstone, but then there's a foundation. And God's word is the foundation, but we get to be part of it, don't we? We get to be part of building the temple. Because remember them old temples? They're all rubble. They're gone. They're, they're gone. And so the new temple is, we are part of it. We're living stones. And, and then we are actually giving the Holy Spirit a place to dwell. We are living a life where we give his purpose over our preference. Right? We're one in Christ. There's a new order. Old divisions are meaningless. One family brought near together. We're no longer aliens. We are one. Well, after three chapters of all this beautiful imagery that Paul shares with us, and he gives us, right, like so much, like we, remember, I might have even said, I don't, don't hold me to it, I might have even said like, okay, Paul, dude, seriously, you've said Jesus like a thousand million times, because he's trying to explain things that we need to hear because he knows that we will forget. You know what's interesting about um, uh, these letters? At this time, when they were going to be heard or read, about 90, no, it was 80%. 80% of the people that were the recipients of the letter were illiterate. You know what that means? That means this is probably being read out loud to them. So you think about that. If there's any teachers in the room or people involved in education, you know this. There are different types of learners. But when you're reading something out loud, you've got to make it interesting and you've got to make it repetitive. And sometimes it's good to have things that they're going to hear over and over, but then also that it's going to give them an image, right, metaphors. And so Paul speaks in repetitive nature. He speaks in imagery. He speaks in ways that people are hearing this read out loud to them that it's going to make sense to them and they're going to know it. It's all intentional. And so he's given us three chapters of Jesus, 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 Jesus. And now he starts the doing part, doesn't he? In chapter 4, remember the one word that divided the two sections? What was it? Therefore. I've given you all this about Jesus. You know this. You believe this. Therefore, you have to live this. So he goes into this whole thing. Remember the red sweatshirt? Y'all, I almost brought it. That would have been, y'all could come look at it. He's reminding them to put off the old comfortable ways that they've grown up with and put on the new identity in Jesus Christ, isn't he? This is why you're different. Now you have to live like it, Ephesians 4. Well, Ephesians 5, we walked into um, a beautiful chapter, and Lauren was here, if y'all remember, and she talked with us about how love is the foundation for everything, that we're to be imitators of God, and we're to always walk in love. And then the end of Ephesians 5, which Lauren was really happy she didn't have to teach, get to teach, we talked about the S word. What's the S word? Be nice, we're in church. Submission. 
And then we talked about the L word. What's the L word? Love. We know that word, don't we? We're girls. We get that word. Well, they're different roles, but they have equal value, right? And so Paul gives us this whole, these pictures of submissive relationships that are hard. We're reminded that the Holy Spirit is what enables us to do what's not natural, namely love and submission. The two things that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit for. It's not a coincidence that he commanded us to do the things that are the hardest for us to do. Because he didn't want it to be confused and he didn't want it to be, oh, well, you know, submission is easy for Chris. I'm going to tell her she needs to do that. No, he wants to give us things that are going to make us rely on him. And lastly, last week, we all got one of these. And if you weren't here, we have several. Take one. Take a handful. We have really a lot of severals, like tons. We were reminded that we have armor. We have access to things that are going to protect us. And that the minute you open your eyes in this world under the sun right now, that there is, a, there is an active battle going on. We are at war, right? It's not just pretend. The enemy is not just this vague, like, pretend thing. No, Paul says, first of all, he starts with, you're going to be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in Chris. Not be strong in Linda. Not be strong in Susan. Not be strong in Don. He, he knows that we're not strong enough. We need him. And, and being courageous means doing it scared, Right? Because when you step out and do something, you know, this is what I always found interesting. You know, when the Red Sea parted, you know what's super cool about that? You realize that the Red Sea didn't part like when they were five miles down the road that way. The Red Sea parted when they stepped into it. You think they were scared? Doing it scared. Be strong in the Lord. And then he reminds us to stand against our enemy. And the beautiful part about this is we hate that, we hate that whole section, right? Amen? I don't want to hear about all the enemy stuff. But here's what we got to know is that the enemy is real and active. And the enemy wants us to believe that we are safe from him. And, and, the, and the reality is, and this is, this is the gospel of Chris, so just disregard this. I think we're more at danger than non-believers because here's why. I think of the enemy, and I have in the past, and, and I, I would even say this, this letter has, has changed my opinion of, of him and his minions and how they attack us, but I, I have chosen in my life to choose, I, I don't like conflict, okay, so that's the thing, and so I'm just going to not, I'm just going to not read about that part, I'm just going to, God is love, and I'm going to stick with that stuff, but we have to know our enemy, don't we? Paul says, know your enemy, and here's what I think is, is, is important for us in this room, in these chairs to remember, especially going into the holidays, especially going into the craziness of what's coming over the next few weeks, is this. We have so much more to lose if we let the enemy into our worlds. You know what we have to lose? I, I mean, if, if I let the enemy start dictating the way I do things, see things, say things, you know what happens? Everybody that sees me drive down the road with my fish on my car, everyone that knows that I'm a believer in Jesus because I have, you know, a cross on my picture on Facebook, everyone who knows that I stand up here at Bible study and I say this is what I believe, they watch me fall. It's so dangerous. So the enemy, yeah, he, he's the one. Remember, remember, people are not the enemy. The enemy, the one, he's the one that wrecks people. He's the one that, that, that gets into their lives and ruins them. People are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Well, here's the thing. Satan's coming after you, and he can't take your salvation. But what he can do is make you real bad. Or you know what else he can do? He can make you real busy. Or you know what else he can do? He can make you a real bad hypocrite. And you know what else he can do? He can make you think that the only people you need to love are the ones that are lovable. 
He's real, and we have to know who he is, and Paul makes sure that we do. We can't miss that. We need to be strong in the Lord. We have to stand against the enemy. And the last thing, it's the fun part, right? We get to put on the whole armor of God. But remember, it's the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Not just, hey, so today I'm just going to put the helmet on because whatever. Hey, today I'm going to put the boots on. It's the whole armor of God. All the time. And to be constantly covered in prayer. Remember that quote about wobbly Christians? It's one of my favorites. Wobbly Christians with no firm foothold in Christ become easy prey for the devil. We can't walk out of here and be easy prey for the devil. I'm going to say this one more time. And my mom and my, mo- my mother-in-law is in here too. So I'm going to say this with love and kindness. Hey, guys, the holidays are coming. And you know what the holidays mean? One word. Family. But not my family because my family is the best. No, I, I say that because don't you feel like it's in the, during the holidays, I feel like, gosh, if there was ever a time I need to not take off a Bible study, it's, it's during the holidays. And it's because I think the enemy knows that I get weaker because I'm emotional or I, I'm weaker because I fall back into pre- just the, the ways that I used to be and, and God's taken me so far and all these relationships that I'm a part of. And, and it's like I just kind of forget. And so I, I want to caution you to remember Paul's Um, words in the book of Ephesians because he knows that he needs to remind you of what you're going to forget. He knows I'm going to forget. And so he wants to remind me. We've come a long way. And now we're at the end of the book of Ephesians and Paul has some very specific things that he wants to give them as his final words. Remember this, when we read the book of Ephesians, where was he writing it from? Do you remember? It was a long time ago we talked about that. Where was he? He was in prison. He was in Rome. He was under house arrest, but he was like probably chained to a, to a Roman guard. And, you know, it was, it was not an ideal situation. He couldn't leave that house. But here's what, um, here's what we, we don't know that he ever was able to go back to Ephesus and see them before he died. You know, this very well may have been his final words to this beloved people, this church that he started. He's a pastor and he loves them. And these are his final words. Final words are important words, right? Well, in chapter 6, verse 19, I'm going to start there. And we're going to real briefly finish the last part of um, this letter. We're going to read Paul's words. Chapter, I mean, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 19 starts like this. And also for me, and he's speaking of, remember, he just went through the whole thing about pray for all the saints. Our father, not my father, we pray for all the saints. So then he says, he continues with that sentence and says, and also for me, meaning pray for me. And I love this, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul doesn't ask for this. Hey, so guys, like I wrote you this super long letter and I started your whole church and stuff. Can you just pray that I get released? Can you pray that I have strength in the midst of being locked up? Can you pray that, that maybe um, as I'm getting close to the end of my life that I have a little comfort? Maybe I could move to the beach and collect seashells. Or He didn't pray for any of that, does he? He doesn't ask for anything. He asks for nothing about his personal well-being or his physical comfort. That's not the Chris prayer. The Chris prayer looks real different. It, it would be a lot more about me and my comfort and, and my well-being and a lot less about what Paul asked for. Paul asked for three things. He says, will you pray for me that I'm bold? Will you pray for me that I continue to be faithful? And this is the killer. 
And will you pray for me that I do it no matter the cost? Boldness, faithfulness, no matter the cost. That's Paul's prayer. I don't pray like that. He's giving us this model. The beauty of this is he's a pastor. Okay, so we can pray this for our pastors. We can pray this for our leaders. We can pray this for each other. I don't know. I think it gets down to the heart of who God is because Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm cool with being in chains, and I'm cool with the fact that I'm going to live probably not a lot longer, and I'm going to die probably a very uncomfortable death, but I just want to be bold and faithful and do it no matter what. I want that faith. I want that life. He goes on in, in verse 21 to say this, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. And he says, do y'all know how to say his name? I can't remember. Let's call him Ty. What do you think? Ty? Sounds good. Shorten it. Um, he says, Ty, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. There's a couple things. That seems like a very benign little section, right? Like, who cares? I mean, okay, we got a guy and he's the delivery boy. There's some things you need to know about this one particular section. It's this. This guy, Ty. Paul trusts him. Remember, Paul planted this church. Paul raised up the leadership in this church. Paul, you can hear it. It is oozing with love. He loves and cares for these people, right? And you know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm giving you this guy. And and, and I trust him, and I love him, and I'm sending him to you. And here's what's interesting. If you look at the pattern of letters from Paul, um, this this is pretty, uh, it echoes Colossians. They, he says the same thing. Like, I think Ty was like his errand boy for both of these churches and ran over and, and did the same thing in, in the, the church for the Colossians. But here's what's interesting is in this section of a letter, normally, what happens is the, the author of the letter would write an encouragement to the readers, okay? This is the part where he would kind of go into this big, okay, so I love you and I'm proud of you and you can do it and all these things, okay? It's not here in Ephesians. You know why? Because he says, I sent Ty to do that to your face. I'm going to love you like grabbing your face and looking into your eyes with this guy. I love that Paul does that. It's unusual. It's, a, it's an unusual absence in, a, in the course of a letter. He's forging stronger links between the believers. This letter is not just about theology. It's about fellowship. You know, I've learned more about who Jesus Christ is when people have looked me in the eyes and loved me. When people have sat with me and cried with me and said no words and just said, I don't know what to say, but I'm just here. Right? And so he is sending this guy to be present with them because he knows big challenges are coming. I love that. What a pastor. Prayer, correspondence, and visits. Are those still beautiful ways that we minister to other people? Yes. Are those ways you can minister to other people, believers and non-believers in your life? Yes. Write them a note. Pray for them, but then just go love them like with your face, like look at them, right? That's what he's saying. I'm giving you this guy. This guy's going to be your guy. What a gift. He finishes it with two sentences um, that sound very familiar, don't they? Because this is how he started the letter. Our Paul. He, um, see, that's why I need the mic. I was like, mic drop. This is Paul. This is how he finishes it. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We finish where we started. We need peace 
We need reconciliation, and it only comes through Jesus. We need grace, and the only reason we can have peace is because we have the grace that was given by Jesus. You know, in the evening class last night, I love this. One of our sweet ladies um, during our sharing time, she said, you know, the one thing that I've walked away from is that I have been flooded with grace, and I don't give it out enough. And she said she has a friend that has like a saying that always says, we need grace confetti. Like, throw it everywhere you are. And I thought, man, boy, that, that's a cool visual because that's what he's done for me. The grace and mercy that he's extended me, I don't know. I want to apologize and confess that I'm not that good at giving it back out. And Paul reminds us we desperately need peace and we desperately need grace. And we must give it out. We must be Jesus. Well, I want to stop talking because I want to give you guys a chance to talk. Um, but as we're finishing up, I want to share... I want to read something out loud to you that you probably read a couple weeks ago in homework because it was on the front page of, I guess it was week 10, I don't remember what week it was, where I shared a little, a little excerpt about Jesus from that book, Blue Like Jazz. And if you haven't read it, that's okay. I just want to share something with you because for me personally, um, I, you know, I, I grew up in a wonderful, amazing Christian home with believers just surrounding me. God just insulated me with truth. And, and I had a hard childhood at times and Things were hopeless, but I still had Jesus just like everywhere, just everywhere. But when I read this, it's like, that's my Jesus. That's him. And so I want to read this to you today, and I want you to, want you to really think, um, what do you believe about him? What do you really believe? I mean, I know you're in, I know you're in Bible study. I, I love that, and God honors that, and it makes him happy. I, I can say that. I think that's in the Bible. It makes him happy when we open his word. But I want to challenge you with this. Do you read about him um, or do you just read about him or do you know him? Do you know him personally? Because the Jesus that I know personally loves me in spite of me, loves me no matter what. And Paul is trying to remind me because he knows I'm going to forget. And so I want you to remember this, that you are loved like this. Okay? So just think for just a second about Jesus and your relationship, not Jesus in the relationship with your children or Jesus in the relationship with your husband or your best friend or whatever, Jesus and you, okay? Quote goes like this, all great characters in stories are the ones who give their lives to something bigger than themselves. And in all of the stories, I don't find anyone more noble than Jesus. He gave his life for me in obedience to his father. I truly love him for it. I think the difference in my life, though, came when I realized, after reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, remember that's the part in the New Testament that's all about Jesus, after reading those Gospels, that Jesus didn't just love me out of principle, he didn't just love me because it was the right thing to do, rather there was something inside me that caused him to love me, and I think I realized that if I walked up to his campfire, he would ask me to sit down, and he would ask me my story, and he would take the time to listen to my ramblings or my anger until I could calm down, and then he would look me directly in the eye, and he would speak to me, and he would tell me the truth, and I would sense in his voice and in the very lines of his face that he, he really liked me. And he would rebuke me, too, and he would tell me that I have prejudices against very religious people and that I need to deal with that. 
And he would tell me that there are poor people in the world and I need to feed them and that somehow that's going to make me more happy. And then I think he would tell me what my gifts are and why I have them. And he would give me ideas on how to use them. And I think that he would explain to me why my father left. And he would point out very clearly all the ways that God has taken care of me through the years and all the stuff God protected me from. That's Jesus. He's not just a character in a book, and he's not just this big, flowy-haired, you know, velvet painting. That's not who he is. He's the one sitting across from you and saying, I love you so much, I want to hear everything, everything. I love you so much, I don't care what you just did. I love you so much, I don't care who you were, who you are, who you're going to be, because I just want you to be mine. I hope that when you walk out of here that you will remember that your identity has nothing to do with what you're wearing or what you've done or who's around you or how you grew up or or how different you are. I hope that you walk out of here knowing that your identity is in Christ alone and he just wants to know you. That's what Paul wants the Ephesians to know. That's what Paul wants us to know. Will you pray with me? Father, um, Give us the words to boldly proclaim your mystery. Give us the words to be bold in how we live out what we say we believe in the safe places. Give us the ability to boldly love those who are unlovable, God. Remind us when we get forgetful. Grant us peace because we need it. Help us to remember to throw grace confetti everywhere, God, because we didn't deserve it. You gave it. God, help us remember that um, sometimes we don't make it easy to be lovable. Lord, help us remember that sometimes we care more about the divisions than the unity. Let us love you, Jesus, with a love incorruptible. Father, we just want to be your hands and feet, and we want to love like you do, and we want to see the world like you. Thank you for trusting us with this word, God. May we, none of us, walk out of here putting it on a shelf and forgetting that it even happened. Lord, transform us from this moment on. Every minute from this moment on, God, may it be about pointing towards you. And Father, we thank you for these 11 weeks, and we thank you for what's to come. We thank you for the letters we get to read in the spring. And God, I beg, I beg for you to physically remind us that we need you every day. Even if we don't have a workbook to flip through, God, we have the tools. We have the armor. You've given us what we need, God. Now I pray that we just have the urge to satisfy that need. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Um, We are unlovable a lot of the time. But you love us anyway, and you sit across from us, and you ask us our story. Nobody else does it. Father, thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.